Logical Progression, Year 1, Lesson 16. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillah rabbil alameen. Allahumma salli wa sallim wa baraka ala nabina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Allahumma la sahla illa ma ja'altahu sahla. Wa anta tajlu al-hazna idha sha'la sahla. Allahumma a'inna ala dhikrika wa shukrika wa husna ibadatika ya rabbil kareem. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Okay, folks. So, where did we get to? Anyone? Page three of the English text. Seventy-seven. Yeah. So. We, so okay so we've done soldier we've done um, that which has been um, yeah okay no. We, we, have we read anything from page three? We haven't, right? We've just basically finished the statement that this is because these are unlawful to acquire and use even for a woman, right? Am I right or wrong there? Just nodding, Sheikh, Yani? We're waiting for someone to, to help us. That's right, yeah? Okay, good. All right, then. So I'm going to just go with... Um, in fact, I think that makes sense because I think the last thing I remember saying myself, what I'm going to start doing is I'm going to start making a mark now. That's what I should do, really. Um, but I think the last thing that I said was the discussion concerning whether D should be allowed for a woman or not, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, was that the last thing? And we said basically that just because gold and silver are allowed for a woman to wear and all the rest of it... Um, does not change the ruling with respect to drinking from a vessel or using a utensil because the illa, the sharia reason for prohibition is not because of its permissibility related to the woman using it but rather because it's of its nature as the hadith said it is for them in the dunya and it's for yourselves in the akhirah so it's a case of extravagance of tashabbuh bil kuffar meaning um, imitating the non-muslims Imitating to non-Muslims, not in an innocent way. You see, the Shabbuh bil Kufar, we're going to touch upon this a little bit this week, next week. This is a very confusing, not confusing, uh, It's people get confused with respect to this principle. Uh, the Prophet ﷺ said in the authentic hadith, Man minhum, That whoever resembles and imitates a people, then he is from them. The upshot then, uh, the upshot from that, whoever resembles a people or imitates a people, Tashabbuh. The, the shabh means resemblance. Yep, he's the shabh of this person, means this person resembles the other one. Tashabbuh is a tafa'al, uh, a, a, a much stronger verb, and it involves yani, more intention and more action. And so uh, a lot of people uh, misunderstood this hadith because then they said, right, it's not permissible to wear jeans and not permissible to wear a cap, whatever, because that's the only clothes that non-Muslims wear. So if you look like a kafir, you must be a kafir because the hadith says that whoever resembles a people, then he is from them. 
But this hadith has not been read correctly. What it actually means is that whoever resembles a people in those things which are specific to them with respect to their identity, their custom, their uh, religion, especially their creed, well then that's basically like, it's like you are freeing yourself from your own identity. Now our identity is not designated by clothes, but it is designated by religious uh, uh, creed. So if there's something which goes against our creed or something which is very specific to a people and, and has maybe some kind of, there's some kind of problematic uh, nature to it, then that's something which is haram. Because, so like, a, like the dog collar of the, you know, like the priest, yes? So the priest or the Pope, they wear that uh, thing and it's completely specific to them. No one else wears them. If a Muslim was starting to wear that, that'd be very problematic. If he did it out of ignorance, we'd say that he doesn't know what he's doing. If he does it out of yani, impersonation, then we fear for his deen. He is yani, upon Catholicism with respect to tashabbuh, and maybe he'll be raised from them. So this is like the, the implementation uh, of that. Likewise, um, this is a very dramatic and clear example. A bit more nebulous, no, sorry, not, not more nebulous, but a bit more difficult to tie down are those which are, do, are to do with emotion and actions, such as, such as extravagance and ostentation and, um, you know, that kind of, uh, like, for example, the non-Muslims might have, uh, or they don't, those who don't believe in the Akhirah, they don't have any concern for what, what happens uh, in the, in, you know, after life. And so their actions now, they don't need to justify to anyone because they don't believe that there's a recompense or there is a, an accounting afterwards. So their behavior with respect to material items and money and so on is a, a very, um, you know, blasé, very open and so on and so forth. They will go and those who are very, very rich will do incredibly sick and silly things. And this is not becoming of the Muslim. And so therefore, this is something, as I said, only only an idiot really would, would, would gold plate his taps, right? Or have golden taps and golden uh, cutlery. I mean, that's a, I mean, there's no justification for that whatsoever. It is complete nonsense, right? Now, we're gonna come to the point, we're gonna come to a section, inshallah, where we get an opportunity to discuss what about when there is a point? What about when there is a need? But there is no need for a golden fork. There is no need for whatever, it's just pure, yeah, any uh, 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 extravagance and someone who, as the Prophet is saying, that they're just taking their Jannah in this life, whereas for you, that's the Akhirah. This life is not the life of luxury. So there were some ulama that were very, very careful in this, and they said that the real problem in this whole area is tashabbuh. If you are getting involved in these items and uh, ex exhibiting this behavior, then, it's, then you are starting to resemble the non-Muslims. Now this would be a, a separate illah, a separate Sharia reason for why the use of these items could be haram. Alternatively, we could just say that the Prophet ﷺ has made them haram and that's the end of it, okay? We need to identify their illa because if we're gonna say that a woman is also not allowed to use these items, then we have to then use maybe a different kind of angle to say, no, she's not allowed because the real reason here is not because she's allowed to touch and display these items, because she is, but rather because it's a level of ostentations, uh, ostentatiousness and extravagance and showing off which is not becoming. All right, so let's, um, in the Arabic on page three, uh, the Mu'allif, the author, Al-Hijawi, he says, 
إلا ضبة يسيرة من فضة لحاجة وتكره مباشرتها لغير حاجة. The translation of purification from them is valid. Also, it is lawful to use a small amount of silver solder if there is a need, but it is disliked to needlessly touch it. That's the text. Let's explain what we're talking about. First of all, um, the uh, purification. Sheikh Uthameen, he says that that um, that purif- so as the translation is purification from them is valid. I.e., when we're using a vessel that is made of either gold or silver, our wudu is not affected by it. Now you might think that's obvious, but it's not obvious. Sometimes there are certain things that are causative or in the chain of an action, pre the action, that would negate the following action. There'd be a problem, okay? Now, um, uh, uh, people know that. i tell you why people know that. And not only do people know that, every Muslim that I know knows that. Because even the most non-practicing Muslims, they will come up to you, they'll say, Sheikh, is it permissible for me to go and do hajj with haram money? Okay, with money that has some interest that I've collected or money that was this or money was that. Meaning everyone recognizes the idea that even though there's two, two completely intrinsically different things, Hajj is an action, money is money, but they know that this becomes a causative factor for the next following action. There is an idea amongst Muslims that there can be an effect that comes later down the line. And it's important to recognize that this exists. And it is a concern for many Muslims and I don't want to say especially non-practicing Muslims because that makes it sound like as, a, as, as, a, as if it's an invalid point. But it's a very valid point. But just it's just interesting how majority of the time it doesn't have an impact because they are of two different genus or two different, different types of action. They're not causative actions. So the other, and I often when I'm teaching my weekend seminars and we often uh, talk about uh, 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 usul, these principles, that we use to understand fiqh, I often ask a question. Um, and this question is, uh, what do you think the most common question is that I am asked? If I was to like number them, yeah, like percentage-wise, what is the most common fiqh question that I'm asked? And I think obviously those who have attended a class, they will know the answer to that. But if you don't, if you haven't heard me say it, any ideas? Smoking is probably like second or third with the music standard kind of thing. Music, smoking, music, smoking. That was the Annie. Hijab. About hijab? No, no. I like to do something with a non-Muslim. No. No. I mean, it's pretty random. It's linked to Ramadan. That's a big, that's a big clue. Fasting, yeah. Anyone? No? Okay. Who has heard this answer before? Right, that's good. <laughs> okay, so the, the, this question um, is uh, Will my, if I don't pray, will my fast be accepted? Okay. I mean, it's very sad that that's such a common question, but it is unbelievable how many times I'm asked that question, okay? Um, 
And it goes back to, I mean, this question, you could write a, I could write a book on it anyway, right? Because there's so much behind this question. There's so much emotion, so much anthropology. It says so much about people. It says so much about us, Paxi. And you know that we have that reverence, you know, for fasting. We have, we have a few intrinsic genetic things that we took from our mother's stomach, right? Fasting, yani we can do anything, any form of kufr and haram, but we will fast. And you know, you know that when, you know when we're describing a person and he's like Khabith, he's a disaster, right? And they said, he drinks, yeah, whatever. He doesn't pray, whatever. He doesn't go hajjama, whatever. He doesn't fast. He doesn't fast? <laughs> he doesn't fast? Are you kidding me? That's like going beyond the pale, right? Yeah. So, and you know that emotionally speaking, it's something which is very much with the people and they, you know, uh, would you agree, right? And so, and, and, and subhanAllah, it's very common for people to belittle prayer. And that's why, you know, I take a, a great pride, alhamdulillah, in teaching fiqh of salah and I enjoy it. And I want to spread that wherever I can go. Uh, and, you know, alhamdulillah, this weekend I'm going to be teaching it uh, in Ireland as well. And the, 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 the one thing that I find about salah and I'm not surprised by this anymore, is just how little ihtimam, little concern there is for the Muslims. They always think they can get away with it. I, it's amazing that, oh, I, I, you know, I don't have clean clothes, or I'm a good Muslim, or I'll pray later, or this, or, you know, every excuse comes out for salah. It's like very much belittled. Yet there's no comparison between the two, really. Even though there are two uh, major actions, but there's no comparison. But anyway, there are a number of people that will go into fasting and they will continue not to pray. Okay? <coughs> now, the answer to this question, the, the, the answer to this question is that, the, that uh, no, the fasting is valid if one does not pray. That's the legal answer. The correct answer is that what kind of fast would that be anyway? I mean, that's an absolute disaster. I mean, you know, and some like, especially Hanbalis or some modern people, they try to be a bit clever and they say, no, the person who can't pray, doesn't pray, his fasting is not accepted because he's not Muslim. Because he left the religion when once he left the prayer and therefore it's just like a non-Muslim fasting without the prayer. Because obviously it's a, it's a scholarly opinion and it's the opinion of the Sahaba as it used to be narrated, as narrated by Dawus and other uh, of the Tabi'een, that the one who leaves the prayer, then he has uh, become proper non-Muslim. Not just that he's done an act of kufr, which is where the majority stand, faqad kafar, meaning that he has done an action of disbelief. Remember, the one who does an action of disbelief is different to being someone being a disbeliever. The fa'il is different from the one who is, uh, the, 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 oh, like, just like a verb and a noun are different. The one who is doing, and so the one who runs. If I say I run, and I'm a runner, there's a whole different uh, connotation. Anyone can run like 10 seconds. And to be a runner is, is indicating someone who's a sportsman, athlete, etc., etc. Same with kufar, same with every action. Okay? The one who does bid'ah, and Muslims are doing bid'ah day and night, is not a mubtadi'ah. Mubtadi'ah is a big phrase. It's a person whose bid'ah is basically infused through his blood. He does it all the time. He's on a wrong path. The one who does, does an act of kufr is not like the one who is established kafir. So anyway, um, so I just want to say that there are some people that said that, that leaving salah is uh, kufr. 
and that therefore takes them outside of Islam. And of course, no iman, no Islam means that any actions are a waste of time. So no, you can't. Your fast is not accepted. But anyway, the position of the majority is that yes, it is an incredibly heinous, serious crime not to pray. But from the conditions of fasting, is that you are healthy, you are baligh, you are Muslim, and then that's it. As long as you are, and obviously if you're a female, they're not on your menstruation. As long as you fulfill these conditions, then your fast is correct. Being, uh, 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 having prayed is not a condition. We're speaking legally. Does that make sense? So that's why it's important to understand that sometimes certain things do have a major impact on what comes afterwards and other things don't have an impact. Here, what do you think? Doesn't have an impact as the Imam has said in the Hamri Madhab. And there were some scholars that said it does have an impact. And they did try to argue from an Asul point of view that how can something which is uh, impure, how something which is haram be um, uh, 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 allow your purification to be okay. What they used as an analogy was um, a basin or a container that's made of nejis. So for example, pigskin. So if there was a pigskin container or a lever or a, a, what they call a water bag or whatever they're called. A, what are they called? Uh, a water skin. A water skin, yeah. That's how it used to be made, right? So there is, it's very easy for them to make that qiyas. A water skin is made of skin and we're going to come to that maybe by the end of tonight's session maybe. Uh, the whole chapter on skins, okay. Um, if that was coming from a pig's skin, then obviously that's like najis, right? There's a, there's a big issue there, and obviously that's going to affect. So they made a qiyas, they said if najasa can do it, then something haram can do it as well. Our, our response was, haram is not the same as najasa. Haram is one thing, najasa is one thing. So our answer is that, um, that no, the purification is not uh, affected, inshallah. And uh, Sheikh Uthameen, he makes something. He makes, a, he makes a nice statement. He says in the Arabic, he says, minha." Okay, minha. So it is purification from them is valid. Sheikh Uthameen adds, not just minha. He says, minha biha fiha ilayha. So he adds four huruf al jar. Yani four. Uh, what do they call? Um, uh, Words which indicate in, from, out. Prepositions. Huh? Prepositions. You see, you know someone studying hardcore English, yani, yeah? when he comes out with that preposition, man. make it simple, yeah, Shaykh. Make it simple, man. Right. <laughs> I just want to say that Sheikh Abdul Ghaffar al-Sumani just dissed every single person in this country. He just said, I know you English don't know any grammar anyway. <laughs> You see that? Okay. So everyone kept quiet because he's speaking the truth. That's why. <laughs> we don't know any grammar. We were never taught any grammar anyway. Right. So, um, so minha, what does minha mean in English, please? From it. How is it going to work from it? It's a gold basin and you're taking the water from it. Handfuls, scoops. What does biha mean? With it. How, well, give me an example of with it. Gold and silver. Anyone? With it? Common, common sense, man. A gold saucepan. 
a silver whatever pouring and you're standing there and they're pouring for you or a gold tap you know a gold pipe gold tap it's coming yani, uh, 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 from it but it's not you taking from it you are using the actual water this in the Arabic bit is different is differed from from the fro- uh, from min in this in this manner so it's being poured to, for for example whereas in the first one you are taking water from it inside sorry inside uh yes fiha inside in it in. give me an example what's inside the well, gold or that's the first one gold. huh gold. correct you actually is big enough that you get in so it's big enough that you get in that might happen one day i don't know you know what i'm saying <laughs> you just need to know the facts yeah you just do the writing and leave the the, the moment yeah, uh, to come when you get into malik abdullah's palace or whatever i don't know i shouldn't say that yeah haram, haram to say that astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah. and then um and then ilayha to, towards it بأن يكون الماء الذي ينزل منه ينزل في إناء من ذهب. يعني like almost like يعني like a, a directional pipe, but that's not much very different from a minha to be honest. Oh, a biha, sorry. Yeah. Oh no, sorry. Uh, my 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 apologies. My 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 apologies. Uh, 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 let me let me clarify that. Ilayha. Yani, um, which is or could be uh, uh, to it, okay, but it doesn't it translate well to it. So it would be more a case of that it's being poured. The biha, the biha, the first one with it, actually is you holding that item and still pouring, but you're holding it. Does that make sense? So you're actually physically handling a movable kind of gold or silver item. Like a little pouring thing. Does that make sense? That would be biha. Ilayha would be the water pouring by itself, like from a gold spout or a gold tap. Are we happy with that, folks? Okay. Next uh, statement then is um, also, it's in the text, page three. Also, it is lawful to use a small amount of silver solder if there is a need, but it is disliked to needlessly touch it. So, Sheikh says that, illa dabbatan yasira min lihaja. This is obviously an exception. An exception from what statement? An, ex- an exception from the same statement. It is impermissible to acquire it or to use it. So this is an exception, yes? This exception in the text you can see has four conditions. What are the four conditions? Number one, that it is solder and solder only. Number two, that is a very small amount. And That is tiny. Number three, that it has to be and only can be from fibba, meaning silver. And number four, that it has to be for a need, for a haja, for a need. Okay? Now, I'll tell you what's very interesting uh, for me here, that uh, Sheikh um, will explain now um, a, a difference between, uh, I think this was Sheikh... Uh, yeah, this actually was Sheikh Muhammad, Muhammad al-Mukhtar al-Shamkiti. But we'll come to that anyway. What's the evidence for this? You might say, well, hold on, it's very clear what the haram nature is. What's the evidence for the exception? The evidence for the exception is what is narrated in Sahih al-Bukhari. In Sahih al-Bukhari, from the hadith of Anas radiallahu ta'ala anhu, that he said that the drinking cup of the Prophet 
uh, broke, and um, and then the wet, it was repaired, and it was repaired. And you got to understand again, we're going back to old school. Yani, a, a drinking cup breaks, you don't chuck it in the <coughs> bin, you fix it. You understand what I'm trying to say? So um, where the crack was, it was held together. And silver was used. So you know what soldering is, yeah? As I said, you melt the, the, uh, the, the metal or whatever it is, and then it sticks together, and that's the end of it. So it was molded back together along the brake line. So the brake line was where the, the silver was used. So you can imagine in an entire cup that's got a crack, that's a tiny amount of silver. You following what I'm saying? Tiny amount. You might not even be able to see that, because it's like the glue in between. But you will be able to, if you look closely, see the silver edging come out, just like glue comes out when you stick it together. So it's a tiny amount. That's the hadith. Is that clear? So, um, so the the uh, you might say, okay, that's what the hadith indicates that there was a tiny amount. But what's the proof that you are conditioning that it can only be small? The reason that we condition small amount is because that is what the the the, the norm would be. When you're fixing something like that, you don't use huge amounts of, of, of solder, let alone silver solder. So actually looking deep into the hadith, you can determine these four conditions quite clearly. First of all, the Prophet ﷺ, he needed to use this, therefore there was a need. So silver was a, uh, uh, if not the best, but a very good solder at that time, therefore they used it. The amount was always going to be very small. And what was the other uh, condition? That soldering was the solution with respect to how to fix it. So these are all taken, all taken from the um, from the hadith. Someone might ask, the Sheikh Uthameen says, what, what about if someone says that, why can't we then, if uh, the Prophet ﷺ allowed a fiddha, why can't we make qiyas, analogy, and then say that we can do it from gold? What do you think? The reason we can't do it from gold is because the no evidence, correct. Now, even though the principle, the principle in things, the status quo in all things is what? That they are allowed, that it is permissible. Here we've had that status quo changed. We have very clear hadith that to say that anything that involves gold or silver, whether plating or brushing or full or pure, it is haram. So this is our new principle. It's the silver one which is the exception. You can't just add on another exception out of analogy. You have to have an evidence to add that exception. We don't have that for gold, therefore it's not permissible. Is that clear, everybody? Yeah? Um, okay. Okay, this is nice. Um, the Sheikh says, Haja, a need. Okay? Now the word need, you need to know that there are three levels uh, um, of, okay, okay, let's say there's, there's uh, three levels. Three levels of, um, I didn't even have to translate this. If we said darura, haja, and lizina, what would we call these three? If, if I said things are done for, because of a necessity, Things are done because of a need, and things are done because it looks nice, or because it feels right, or because it completes the issue. What would you call these again? Huh? No, no. What, what are we talking about? Categories of what? 
categories of need? No, because the, lo- the third one isn't a need. Categories of? Incentive? No. Um, my mind's gone blank. I'm just wondering what, what, would this, what would this be categorized as? Anyway, but you get the point, right? That certain things can be, yani, would, 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 would need to be done because it's a darura for it to happen. Other things are a haja, and other things are, I guess, I guess you could say, the category of things. So just another way of looking at things, yeah? So certain things are necessary, certain things are, you have a need for, and certain things you know that there's no need for, but it's just right. It makes it look nice, it makes it look better, it makes it look straighter, it makes it look more pretty, it makes it look more uh, in line with the people or whatever, whatnot. Uh, I'm not doing a good job of explaining because I can't think of the, uh, the exact term. Um, I didn't prepare for this and I'm just reading off, I'm thinking off the, off the cuff. Anyway, the point is this. That the Sheikh used the word Haja. Yes. Categories of use. Maybe, yes, maybe. Maybe categories of use. Or categories of intention of use. Maybe, yeah. Now, how do we... You see, i tell you why I wanted to stop here and make this point. is because this is the most abused concept that I know in our time. Like if you were to say, what's the biggest challenge to, to the Muslims in the West? Right? There's so many, obviously, issues. But I would certainly name this in the top three. And that is the, the abuse and the misunderstanding of what necessity means. And the abuse and misunderstanding of what a, a need is. So, you look, I mean, when you look at people uh, before Islamic uh, uh, finance schemes came out, then they were saying that it's, it's a need for me, or it's, it's a necessity for me to have all kinds of things so I can justify going to buy... Um, to, oh yeah, uh, interest, getting loans, mortgages, and whatever, whatnot. Everyone has, was out there and making them all, you know, making these things up as they, as they go along. Uh, and some are valid, and some are tenuous, and some are controversial and require study not to be thrown out. Um, I'll tell you a controversial one education. What is education? Is it a darura? Or is it a haja? Or is it not even necessary at all? Okay? Is it not necessary at all? Now, is there a clear, defined answer? No. But the scholars have been making ishtihad on that before and in recent times. And, and uh, myself, I, was, uh, I have been involved with uh, the Al-Qalam uh, Sharia panel. And we're a, a number of, uh, of individuals who um, have been trying to find some kind of solution for the current student loan crisis which of course is a haram, interest-based loan. However, they want to dress it up and whatever. Now, when you look at that, a lot of people are trying to work out what to do. So obviously, the correct thing to do is to not take it, because it's not allowed. And either you delay, you go and work, you borrow money, or do what you want. There are other people that are justifying to themselves that the education itself is a darura, a necessity, and because it's a necessity, then the necessities, they can turn things into the haram, into halal, because of need. And us, of course, uh, uh, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, That whoever is forced um, with, uh, w- without any bad intention, without trying to blag it, without transgressing, then know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is 
forgiving and merciful. So this is an ayah which is effectively allowing a person that if he's starving to go and eat from, say, dead meat or from pork or from whatever. Now, obviously, obviously there are conditions, but that is the, the proof for the principle. So they say education is something which is a necessity and therefore I should be allowed to take interest. There's two things here. First of all, who said education is a necessity? Is it a haja or necessity? And number two, who allowed every time absolutely that when you identify a necessity, you can go and do the haram? This is a big, big thing. And it, should, it shouldn't be like that one leads to two. It shouldn't be you know, seen as easy as that. Now, I actually think that there is a good uh, uh, argument for education being a necessity. I th- and especially so for our community. A minority community where the wrong religion, the wrong color, the wrong social class. We have everything against us. And at this moment in time, uh, education actually is our only comeback. And when you become educated, and by that you become respected for your opinion, or because of your academic qualification, or because of your position, or because of your wealth, then people can't, or they struggle to use your color, your religion, and your social class against you. And so that's when you have power, that's when you're in charge of people, that's when people can't say things, they have uh, dramatic uh, consequences if they, to- if they you know, take liberties. So there is an argument that education is a key factor in achieving that status where you protect your rights and therefore help protect the Muslim community as a whole. It can be counter-argued that businessmen do that even better. That if you look at the big, big people who are in business, some of them don't do any education whatsoever, but make plenty of money, and they are doing more protection of our Izzati and his Muslim community, that's a good argument and a good example. We should then counter-argue and say, what's the norm? That people are going to become incredibly successful in business, that very rare entrepreneur which hits the, the heights, or is it more likely that a number of people will succeed in education and become psychologists and lawyers and doctors and academics and professors and then change a real actual change in their community? So that's obviously more likely. So therefore, education is definitely a need and quite, quite possibly a, quite possibly a uh, necessity. Now, should the necessity, the fact that it's a necessity, allow riba outright? This is rejected by the majority of the scholars. If a scholar gave a fatwa, a mufti gave a fatwa to allow it, he would take that upon his own shoulder. And he, he would not be punished for that because he would make his ishtihad and his best attempt at making a fatwa and he'd be wrong in that. But, if he, but we know the Prophet ﷺ said that when, a, when the judge makes a judgment and he is wrong, he gets one reward, and if he gets it right, he gets two rewards. Because his intention is to use evidences as long as they're valid. But he is wrong in this. We will argue that the fact that education is a necessity will maybe possibly ease the, the, the working environment that we're trying to work in to find a solution. What do I mean by that? It's very difficult. It's very difficult to find an Islamic alternative to a haram loan. Because the restrictions for money being borrowed and an extra return going back to the lender is an absolute base thing of... uh, 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 absolute standard for the capitalist system. And to create a system to semi-match that is going to 
always look, even though you might paint Islam on it, it's going to be dodgy. It could be argued that the fact that we are trying to fulfill a necessity allows us to maybe do slightly more yani, unsavory conditions and features of the contract that we're offering. For example, offering a or calculating a mode of payment that is exactly the same as the student loan one. Why would we have to do that? Because the government would never ever allow a concessionary loan for Muslims. Because then obviously the rest of the country would be up in arms. They say, how comes that you're favoring the Muslims over non-Muslims? So therefore, legally, they would never allow a product to pass if there was a discount in it. Either the same or more money back for the government. Now, if we're doing that, you can see that that stinks, doesn't it? As a Muslim, you're creating a product which might look Islamic, but ultimately in its consequence, it's giving the same money back to the thing. We would potentially argue that we are, we're not happily doing that, and we're only doing that because it's a necessity. Do you see the, 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 uh, the, and how powerful the fact that if education becomes a necessity, what impact it has? Scholars on the other side will turn around and they'll say, you know what, I prefer that you don't flap about at all. Just say it's haram and we're giving you permission to do it. And we're saying this is a fatwa to do a haram act. Don't try to make it halal, this, that, whatever. It's an argument. It's an argument. But anyway, that's, I want you to understand, that's darura. This is haja. This is zina. Zina meaning the nice kind of thing. So what does Sheikh say? He says that, that the people of knowledge at the back, bottom of page 80, he says, Al-hajatu an yata'allak biha gharadun ghayr zina Bima'ana an la yattakhidha, la yattakhidhuha zinatan. قال شيخ الإسلام وليس المعنى ألا يجد ما يد... ابن تيمية said that the statement need here must not be understood in the same light as a necessity. This is such a, you know, for, 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 for students of knowledge like myself, to read this statement is so full of knowledge it blows my mind, right? One of the best sentences I've ever read. He said that this incident in the, in the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, where he fixed this cup with the solder, you shouldn't read from this that it was a necessity. It was a necessity in the category of necessity that we are allowing silver because it's a necessity. We are allowing it because it's a need. And the proof of that is because the Prophet ﷺ could have used anything else. He could have used other cups. It's not to say that there was nothing else available. He could have. But he had a need. He had a broken cup. And he wanted to fix it. And so he, this has been allowed to us. The Prophet by his action has taught us that if you have a need, not a necessity. If you have a need, then you are allowed to use the silver in a small amount to solder it. Now, if you've understood this, and I know it's not clear, I know it's a bit difficult. If you've understood this, what is the significance of this statement that Shaykh al-Islam is saying? What's the significance of Shaykh al-Islam saying that in this hadith, the Prophet ﷺ did not play the darura card? That's, I guess, the other way I can put it. In this hadith where 
silver and gold is not allowed to use on utensils or to eat or drink from them. The Prophet has done so with a small amount of silver. Why did Ibn Taymiyyah say that he played the Hajjah card, meaning there's a general need? Why didn't he play the Darura card? Or why is Ibn Taymiyyah at pains to explain that, it, that when he played the Hajjah card, it wasn't a Darura card? Correct. It shows that you do not always need to have a darura to have a concession. I'll tell you, I'll tell you. If this was a darura, okay, then it would be permissible to use gold as the solder as well. If this was a darura, then it would be permissible to use gold as the solder as well. Does that make sense, everybody? Rather, Sheikh Islam has looked at this hadith and he's identified the fact that it's a cup and there was plenty more available and he could use other items. But so specifically he chose the silver and he's made a specific exemption for the silver and he's made it just because of the fact there's a need. Why is that important for another reason? Because if there is a necessity, if there is a necessity in something, then we're not just allowed to use silver, we can use gold. We can use pork, we can use alcohol, we can use... Do you understand what I'm trying to say here? So it's important to identify what rulings we're actually using here. So we know as... Um, uh, so as Ibn Taymiyyah gives the example, or maybe actually Sheikh Uthameen who gives that example. Uh, yeah, it's Sheikh Uthameen. He says that if a person was dying of thirst and he only had a gold glass of water in front of him it would be permissible for him to drink from that gold glass of water. Does that make sense, everybody? That gold cup of water. So, I'm just, I'm, I know that it doesn't change the ruling, but obviously this is a detailed class where we're studying fiqh and usul in detail. It is nice to, to, to learn things like that. That sometimes when a haja is, is deduced from a hadith, the significance of that is to make sure that the, that the, that the concept of darura is not touched. That it's safeguarded because when the, the darura card is played, it will open up a whole load more possibilities. So we have to take each hadith at its right stage. So this hadith makes clear that for a need, only silver can be used in a tiny amount. If push comes to shove, though, then anything goes. We're able to do a number of things. Here, of course, we can use the example of um, the uh, uh, companions. Um, or the hadith of uh, Naam, the hadith of Urfuja, uh, anhu, which is narrated in the uh, the Jami' of Imam Tirmidhi, and the hadith is Sahih. He was in a, a battle, and in the, the battle, I believe, uh, Naam, uh, the battle of Al uh, Kulab, uh, okay, and this was actually a battle in the time of Jahiliyyah, not at the time of the Prophet Anyway, Urfuja's uh, nose had been chopped off. Okay? And so they're trying to now fix this nose now, or to give it some kind of, um, or rather I should say, the problem is, is Dr. Shazad is not here to give us yani, uh, some guidance, but I think that the problem would have been repeated infections because of its exposure. That's my guess. Yeah? And so they wanted to then 
uh, they would then effectively mould and burn and solder onto his nose silver. Gold is very... Um, Gold wasn't used, silver. Yeah, it's a very inert material. Thing. Silver, yeah? yeah? Same as well, that's what we use in the mouth as well. It's when you're inert, it doesn't react very much with... Sugar. But what would be the, the, the original reason to use it? Is it because to leave it would open it to infection? Well, it, the tissues respond better to it. it they're less, you know, uh, you know, reactions and infections. Yeah, probably. So yeah, so the, I think the idea therefore is that there's a real need for it because the nose is going to get worse. It's not going to get, uh, it's not going to heal. It's getting too infected. So we have to effectively model another a nose onto it. So they made a nose out of silver for him. All right. And so they put the silver nose on and it lasted only a little while. It became rotten. It started to smell and it became rotten. It started to come away. And um, then the Prophet ﷺ said, okay, make one of gold. And uh, gold, as we know, is an incredibly inert material. It doesn't react with anything very, very stable, which is why, of course, dentists prefer to use that in all of their fillings and in their teeth. And uh, 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 fixing this, fixing that, fixing other things as well. Um, in the books of fiqh, you will see the discussions of the use. So his nose was made of gold and the Prophet ﷺ has allowed that. Why did he allow that? Because there was a necessity. Not a need, it was a necessity. Now, this then opens up the, the whole chapter for discussion. A haram... Uh, object which men can't touch, uh, men can't uh, 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 wear or use at all, and women can for beautification. Um, how? What are the parameters of using it? The parameters are that when there is a need which has been ascertained by an expert in the field, yani a clinician, then it is permissible to use. So, permissible to use for for in the teeth, permissible to use. On fingertips in the books of the fiqh is mentioned and the extremities and so on because these are the things that when the blood supply gets cut off to them they become gangrenous they become more likely to become infected and therefore it's one way of I mean, back then I mean obviously now I'm sure there must be other things but then it's a way of patching up and, and keeping stable these extremities now in the mouth we have to be careful here because there's there's getting mixed up between some kind of hip-hop flex yani, and going all goldy yani, you know da 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 whatever and obviously using it for its need and just dealing with it in its right place its fillings and so on and so forth um, you know when you cap a tooth completely yeah it's a crown yeah a crown yeah. a whole tooth yeah is there ever a medical reason to um, do that other than adornment like a person likes to have like a gold oh yeah of course we crown the tooth because it's needed because it's, it's weakened uh, with gold, I mean. With, uh, with gold is, is a preferred material because porcelain, the white crowns, is more destructive. You have to cut more tooth tissue away because you have to allow for the metal and the porcelain. Whereas it's not full gold, it's actually a very small percentage of gold, actually 3-4% usually, if you're on the NHS. <laughs> when you go to Shazam's private practice, then you give another five percent. Then, then, then speak to me later. <laughs> but then, if it's you know, uh, it goes up. But it's, it's not. It's not pure gold. It's never pure gold. It's always a, a mixture. But 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 you destroy less too. So so let's let's talk a few. Let's talk about a few uh, 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 principles. Um, actually, should we just? Uh, yeah, let's just finish off this uh, this statement here. Um, the chef then finishes, um, but it is disliked to needlessly touch it. What we're talking about, we're saying now the same cup with the tiny silver solder that a person is drinking from the solder so that his lips are touching the silver part. 
Okay? So the Hanbalis are saying that why on earth are you doing that? Turn the cup around, yani, fear Allah, and this is a concession, and, uh, uh, you know, drink from it. Shaykh Uthameen here, he goes in full time now. He's now starts mentioning the ayat um, and uh, sunnah to tell you what the word makru is. We discussed this many times before. Makru is a legal reality. Yani, it's something which a person, if he does, he's not punished, but if he, re- if he leaves, he's rewarded. So therefore, it's an act of worship. It's a legal matter. And he's getting angry now, right? He's saying, you can't go around just throwing a makru card unless you've got evidences. Makru is a serious word. He says that in the Quran, it is used, and when it's used, it means something is haram. That it is, that all of this is something which is bad, and it is haram according to your Lord. And then also from the ahadith, that's what it is for, and then uh, uh, verse 38, and then the statement of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi in the hadith of Bukhari, that Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala has hates for you, uh, needless talk, he said, she said, yeah, he said, they say, and asking too many pointless questions, what and uh, wasting the uh, wealth. Meaning, Sheikh Uthameen says that you cannot go and make a statement like Makruh unless you have clear evidence. He then says, what is the evidence to say that to touch this silver is Makruh? Once that they have allowed the concession of soldering it, then you should be allowed then to also drink from it as well. Al-Fasuhih, annahu la kiraha anna hadha shay mubah and he says that if the action, his argument is this, if the action of it is haram, is, is allowed, then the touching of that thing is allowed. Okay? This is Shaykh Uthameen's opinion. Shaykh Muhammad Bukhtar al-Shanqiti, he said no, he said that it's haram to touch it. He said it's haram to drink from that crack. Okay? It's haram to drink from that crack. And he said, he said because, and I like his principle better, even though I don't know if that's the correct opinion, but his principle is better. He said, what was the asal with respect to silver use in this cup? It's haram. Even though the principle with respect to things is allowed. But we had then the hadith which came and created a new principle when it came to silver and gold in in utensils, which made it haram. Sheikh uh, Shankariti is saying that if the asal is haram, then you have you can only allow things to become halal piece by piece, evidence by evidence, bit by bit. Yani his argument is is that this hadith has come and given a concession, a rukhsa. This is an important word, the word rukhsa. It means concession. The concession was to use it. To drink from it and to touch it would require another concession. You can't make qiyas. You can't make an analogy that because this is allowed, that's allowed. Because the principle in the entire subject is that it's haram. So therefore, we require another evidence to show that the Prophet ﷺ drank from it as well. We don't have that evidence. The common sense would say that he wouldn't have done it. Or at least we would say that there's no way you can prove definitively that he did or didn't. And therefore, I favor their opinion. This is Shaqiti speaking. That it is impermissible. It is impermissible to touch that silver solder. 
My position, I must say, is that I, I think the madhab is a safe position. I think the Shaykh Uthaymin is a bit like hardcore in taking, in criticizing, and I accept his point because you do need evidence and there's no, no clear evidence per se, but I, I like Muhammad Mukhtar Shanqiti's, Hafidhahullah, his reasoning. And so it's easy for me just to sit in the middle and say, just avoid it. If you're going to fix your cup, and if you're fixing your cup with silver soda, come and see me, all right? Okay? I, or I've got bare mugs and things like that. I'll save you from all of this doubt and all this animation. Yeah? Uh, no problem. All right? But just in case times get hard and you can't get hold of me, yeah? And you are using this cup with the silver thing, yeah, just turn it around. Just be on the safe side. There's some doubt there. Anyway, let's have some discussion before we move on to the next se- uh, uh, section about what some of the conclusions are that we can make from uh, what we've said so far. Um, the use of gold and silver, if there is a necessity, then it is permissible. Whatever you want to do. Whether you're dying, you need to drink from it. Whether it is used in a medicinal, uh, 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 a medicinal place or something like that, then it's permissible. Let's look at other uh, extensions of that. Um, I think we mentioned already last week that if you were to have a tool made out of uh, gold or something, that would be permissible because it has nothing to do with adornment and drinking and so on. Yeah? These are the three main areas which are haram uh, for a male. Uh, uh, beautification, adornment, showing off, yani, and eating from and drinking from. As for the woman, then only the eating from and the drinking from. If we talk about displaying, then that's haram, according to the majority of scholars, from a extravagance point of view. That you're displaying gold and thingy, this is yani, this ridiculous. Okay? Some people might say, and I have to say that I like this argument, that if a person is a collector and a buyer and seller of items and so on like that, and he has a business in these things, and it is a defined business, then maybe that's permissible. Wallahu ta'ala a'lam. Um, what other scenarios uh, are there? Gold pens. Okay, so now let's look at those items which are, are, are items which have nothing to do with gold or silver, but gold and silver are using them. So, um, a watch, glasses, pen, um, cufflinks, your wallet, for example, and so on. We're talking about males here. For females, all these are allowed, yeah? But for a male. Now, let's look at all the different categories we have here. We have pure gold. If it's pure gold, clear haram. We have white gold. This is always an argument that's put forward. What is white gold? White gold is effectively normal gold, yellow gold, okay? Normal gold, whether 18 or 24 karat. But just a slightly higher percentage of platinum or nickel that has been uh, 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 melted into it, okay? You know when you get 24 karat gold? Yeah, it's never 100% gold. There's always like 5% or a few percent of platinum and nickel to give it stability, to give it some hardness, okay? So that's what normal gold is, normal yellow gold. There's always platinum and nickel in there. When you call it white gold is when you add, I think I was reading it on like about 10%, like of nickel and, and platinum, then that lo- that's enough to change the color. So the color changes and it becomes now something which is effectively still pure gold, but it looks like white gold. I follow the opinion that that's not permissible either. And this is the position of Sheikh Uthaymeen, and I prefer this position. Gold which is used in a tiny amount, in an insignificant fashion, I think that there's some space for that. 
meaning that it is not the reason that you are having the item. For example, a nib which is hidden in a pen which is completely no gold on it whatsoever. A gold-plated pen, by the way, also not allowed. Gold plating is the same as pure gold in the ruling, okay? Gold plating in a watch or whatever. I'm saying, imagine like this, this pen, which is clearly a normal black pen, but this, this part at the top, that there, okay, that you can see is gold. This is tiny, insignificant, not being used ostentatiously. I'm not showing off yani, uh, via, via it. I can't yani, go around saying, you see my gold pen, yani, people would laugh at me, yeah, <laughs> right? So, 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 and that's obviously very important. The earth of the people is important when you're making a ruling. The customs of the people. Would they go, whoa, whoa, you got the fatness gold pen, bro, yeah, right? <laughs> then obviously that's a problem. If they would look at me and they'd say they'd smile like that, go, yani, you know what I mean, guys, miskeen, then we are okay with that. Likewise, in a watch, if we have a watch and just say that the, um, I don't know, the number 12 is just gold, okay? This is not the yani, what we call a gold watch. And it's not something which is being used for the purpose of beautification. It's the reality of that. If you're buying it for that 12, that's a problem. Might be haram and you're sick in the head as well. So that's, that's the yani. <laughs> that's a big, you've got bigger issues, the yani, right? If you need some gold, again, come see me. So um, that's, that's that. Um, what other issues uh, come up? Good question. So, gold-plated connections, gold-plated wires, the uh, jack, 3.5 mil jacks that go into whatever. What do you think? Because? Correct. It has no meaning whatsoever in adornment or beautification. And as I said, if you were going to go and bowl into a crowd and pull out your, your, your cable and say, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? I listen to my hip-hop gold standard style. You're going to get a slap for listening to hip-hop and you're not going to get any credit for having a 3.5 mil jack made of gold. So you can see, when you return the issue back to what normative scenario is, there is no uh, problem uh, like that. If you, if you think of something what Ibn al-Qayyim, I read from Ibn al-Qayyim, what he said, he said that one of the reasons why... Because um, you might ask, what is it? What is the reason why men are not allowed to wear gold and women are? Because gold is essentially an effeminate item. And it creates like silk. It has that effeminate and that uh, kind of womany kind of uh, nature. So there are a number of problems in, wear, in wearing something which is gold. Uh, Ibn many of the scholars said that it starts to reduce the the uh, the uh, what's the word the maru'a the manliness, huh? The masculinity, yeah, the manliness uh, of a man, and it is tashabbuh bin nisa. It is imitation of women, which of course is impermissible, and of course there's a reason, and we know that men and women are not allowed, men are not allowed to wear gold anyway. So if you think of it in that sense, also Ibn Qayyim said that also when a man is wearing gold, it, there seems to be a, a greater attempt at showing off, as opposed to women where it's like a standard. Everyone does it. You can't claim too much by having gold. Everyone's wearing gold. Every woman is. And so it's not seen as a huge show-off kind of thing. Whereas if men are trying to do it, you know a person's trying really hard. You know, and he goes, well, I've got a gold watch, got a gold pen, got a gold 
a you know phone cover or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Chef, um, regarding the color of gold, obviously from all these discussions, it looks. It seems to me like it's because it looks like gold. That's why it's not allowed. So when you said about no, no, it's not, it, so, so so this is it. Yeah, um, this is a good point. I'm not saying that's the illa because of the of because of the color. I will say that appearance and the way it's presented is a major a factor. All right, because it plays into not just it doesn't just play into you showing off, which is a problem, but it also plays into the perception of the other people, which is why a number of scholars, although they didn't say it's haram to have a gold colored. Not, nothing to do with real gold A gold coloured pen Watch Whatever Blah de blah Okay They disliked it Because it creates Suit yani The other people When they look at it They think He's wearing gold Is he not wearing gold Is it made of gold Is it not made of gold And the Muslim doesn't Put himself out like that Where the people are always Thinking about him You're giving them yani, These doubts to, to play on That's not how the Muslim rolls And we don't want to have that In the hearts and minds Of the other people as well So that's, a, that's an important point now you're, you're trying to say, right, well if you're saying that, then why on earth would the white gold then be haram? The, I will say to you that there are some, people, some scholars that said that white gold isn't. It's a risky statement that, because they're basically putting all of their eggs in which basket when it comes to the illa? Huh? <laughs> the golden eggs, yeah. <laughs> Pun intended. The, they're putting all of their golden eggs into which basket? It's all in the look. That the illa is that is haram only because it's all in the look. That's a big call, that because the hadith is saying that gold is haram, and it would be, have to be a brave soul to know that this is pure one hundred percent gold. Yeah, I'm gonna wear it because it doesn't look like gold. Do you see what I'm trying to say? And that's why a few scholars were, there have been a few, but only a few scholars will allow it. They were they were given confidence in their ruling by the fact that it is permissible in an ironic fashion to wear a platinum ring, which is more expensive, to wear diamond encrusted stuff, which is more expensive. And so they, this really kind of puts the cat amongst the pigeons because it really can cause confusion. And hold on, this is even more expensive, even more ostentatious, even more yani, extravagant. And so we would then go back and say that if a person's of immense wealth and this is normative, then maybe there's space for that. But if a person's normal and basic and, you know, from the squeezed middle, yeah, I love that, yeah, yeah, downgraded chancellor. What a name. What a diss you packed George Osborne. Um, um, what old budget carried away there a bit. Uh, what were we talking about? I just, I just can see I can't stand George Osborne's face man honestly and all I can see is in front of me yeah so diamonds this that whatever a normal person wearing it that's a major issue we need to look at that and I can't say it's haram but yeah yes sir says. so sometimes we get patients in yeah they're, you know they need a crown on the front tooth and uh, the gold crown is better but we never put a gold crown on the front tooth because of, you know it looks gold isn't it we always put a white crown on it but now they're asking us to put the gold crown on because of our look. Muslims? Muslims, non-Muslims, whatever. A lot of Muslims as well, well or whatever. Um, so the gold is a, is a better restore, you know, material to restore with. It's less destructive. But they, 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 you know, as a point of view, we never put it on the front tooth because of the aesthetic. So if they want it... You don't put it on the front tooth teeth 
because it is go. With, with no, right as a dentist, you're making that decision based upon an Islamic yani understanding. No, no, based upon that's the that's the, the normal practice. Why would they uh, want to minimize the aesthetic uh, value? As in, if you put a gold, obviously a gold front tooth doesn't yes. look very nice. Oh, it doesn't look nice. Doesn't look right, nice. right, right, right. Yeah. So we put white crowns on. Got ya, got ya, got ya. Whereas some people come in and will say we want the gold one. Okay, so and, I'm and, sure. And, and, and it, it's less destructive when we're comparing the two. To put the gold one on. Yes. Right. So this is a really good question, and in summary, you know, um, as a dentist, can I? Um, Put a gold tooth onto someone who has made it clear that they want to show off that gold tooth. Alright? They want to show it off. We'll leave the fact that it's actually easier and all the rest of it in a minute, right behind for a second. Which leads to another discussion. Is it permissible to sell gold jewelry to a male? Okay? Is it permissible to sell gold utensils and containers to anyone? Not just a Muslim male or female, actually non-Muslims. Which leads to a bigger question. Are non-Muslims judged in Sharia? Which leads to a more, not bigger, a more detailed question. Or is it that non-Muslims are uh, held accountable in Sharia with respect to very specific matters? So, I want to say to you that the correct position, and this is a huge study and a number of different opinions and I've been studying this for I don't know for pretty much all my life because I remember from the early days when I started studying with Sheikh Abdul Shadeh, Sheikh Sahib Hassan and there was so many and Sheikh Sahib Hassan of course is from a Pakistan Ahl Hadith background so he's very got very uh, yani strict and very defined manhaj which is good because you know exactly where he's coming from. Sheikh Abdul Shadeh was very much a maverick with respect to his yani hadith fiqh very free kind of man using evidences and so on. My own teacher, very methodical and so on. And then other teachers which were within the Madahib. So I've been studying this issue for so long. And I think in Allah knows best that the correct position is that non-Muslims are held accountable to not only the usul of the sharia but to the furu as well. Not just the primary matters but the secondary matters as well. The subsidiary matters as well. Meaning... Uh, what does this translate into into real life? Meaning that it is not permissible to sell gold to a non-Muslim. Okay, man, right? Like a man gold jewelry, for example. Because me selling this gold ring to a Muslim man, I wouldn't do it because I know it's haram, brother. You can't do that. Yeah. Whereas if he says to me, I'm buying buying it for my wife, and it's a unisex or it's only for women, then I accept that. Likewise, if the non-Muslim says that, then I don't question it. I don't ask. If there is a complete obvious thing that this is for male only, and I sell it to a non-Muslim, then I consider it to be impermissible. Why? Because I believe that the non-Muslims are held accountable to the minutiae, to the details of Sharia as well. Just as the Muslims aren't allowed to wear the gold ring, neither should a non-Muslim wear it. And when he wears it, what is, what's the legal consequence of this statement? That they are held accountable. It means that I believe that when it comes to Day of Judgment, he won't be a person. There's an idea in the, in the minds of the people that the Muslims will have every single action accounted for. We know that the angels are 
of writing everything, all the good, all the bad, and it's going to be put in scales, all the bad, all the bad, all the bad, and then all the good will come, hopefully, and it will overpower it, inshallah. But there's an idea that the non-Muslims, that they'll come and because, oh, you're not even a Muslim, off, off yani, you go, there's no, there's no judgment. I want to say, I want to say that I follow the opinion that you wore gold in the bad, you drunk alcohol in the bad, Every haram action will go in the bad uh, scale. Does that make sense? Now you can see why you maybe think that doesn't make sense because he's a non-Muslim, so it's the end of the story anyway. And that's a, that's a logical argument, which is why, of course, the scholars rejected it. There were so many scholars that said no, they don't. They're not held accountable to the to the furor. Now. I do believe they are, and therefore it would not be permissible. And Allah knows best. This is my opinion. Yeah. Ustad, how does it change when they pay jizya in terms of accountability under the Sharia? If they pay jizya, then what's their accountability? Um. Uh, you mean you mean them paying jizya allows them to now rule by their own law? No. There's some, yeah, there's, there, there, there might be some space for that. There might be some space where the Muslim ruler will allow a people, allow a people, but, but from top down, I mean, to rule according to their own law. In a muhafadha, yani in, a, in, a, in a, uh, an enclave, in an area, and you rule by your own book to the Christians and to the Jews. There's some space for that. Yeah. So, so, so this is of course is a very, very important uh, hadith. The hadith of Sayyidina Umar. I think everyone knows about this. That the Prophet sallam, he received some uh, uh, garments and they were made of silk. And for the answer to that question, you can go to iTunes, download Edward Season 1. Is this Season 1? And we'll provide you what episode with next week. So season this one. week's task is to go. Well, I true. I'll tell you what, yeah. Shazad is being a bit of a killjoy, yeah. I will, I will give you the answer, okay? Even though, even though Shazad, yeah, he wants you to spend, I think, nine pounds or something, but it's good. Go and spend nine. Sorry, say seven, seven, seven pounds, seven pounds, eighty, even whatever. Biggest bargain ever, sah. Forty hours of explanations of hadith on the PG site, Aladib al Mufrad. I do go into a lot of detail there, but let me just, just for the sake of this masala. There's hundreds of more musa'al there. Bro, we can sell it in other ways. Don't worry, yara. So, so the Prophet has got this silk garment and he, he, he obviously is haram to wear silk. And so he gives it to Sayyidina Umar. And Sayyidina Umar is like, yani what? You're not going to wear it? You expect me to wear it? Kind of? Yani it's haram. It's haram for me as well. So the Prophet said to me, I didn't give it to you to wear. You can go and do what you want with it. So then he, what did he do? Anybody? He gave it to? No. Who? Non-Muslim who? Non-Muslim brother. He gave it to his, his brother who was still mushrik. He hadn't accepted Islam. Okay? So the, the first thing here, and so the people then said, uh, this is the evidence that the non-Muslims are allowed to do haram things. Okay? Are allowed. And I have to say that, yani, you know, I, 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 I've told you before that there are a number of scholars that uh, um, allow this. Okay, a number of scholars that allow this using this hadith, and that's why you know um, even I used to be upon this opinion, right? And I have to say that, uh, and I used to practice it most of the time when you get alcohol, 
Yes? So, someone gives you a gift of alcohol, bottle of whiskey, whatever. There are some thick people out there, believe me, right? They can't take a hint, right? So, I've been given that a number of times. Now, there are some people that just flatly refuse. Me, yeah, I ain't refusing no gift squat, you know what I'm saying? Yeah? Someone gives me a gift, I'm going to make use of it. So, whenever I used to get uh, anything like that, I would just give it to my neighbours. And I'd say, go and knock yourself out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> li- li- literally. <laughs> so... So that would be the end of it because I said they're not in their religion it's allowed to drink and so therefore think it's okay. And as I said, it's a, it's maybe I might even argue that's the majority opinion maybe. I, I can't call on that but it's a well-held opinion. But I'm saying that one thing you can't do is to use the hadith of Umar as proof. Because when the Prophet ﷺ gave it to Umar, when he gave it to Umar he didn't expect him to wear it either. He allowed him to sell it though. He allowed him to gift it he allowed him to use it in some other way. So for example, I would say now Omar gives it to his brother, uh, uh, brother who's non-Muslim. That's not to wear. We have no proof to say that he gave it to him, now go wear this. Okay? And when you give it to him, is it allowed for, is it allowed for this non-Muslim or any person to sell that silk? Is it allowed, yes or no? Who to? Women? Women? Correct, correct. Silk is not like yani, an earring. Earring can only be used yani, in the ear, right? Silk, you can go and make curtains out of it. You can make a pillow out of it. You can go and put it in your bed sheets. You can go and wear it, make a cape, make a thobe, make a this, make a that. So it's permissible to make lots of uses out of it. For someone to use the, exa- the hadith of Umar and say that he gave it to his brother to wear, he'll have to bring the evidence and say, where does it say to wear? He gave it to him for him to benefit from. And in fact, there are some slightly weaker narrations in which he said to him, go and use it, go and sell it. Meaning, take benefit from the money that you'll make from this because other people will be able to wear it. So I hope that that makes... Uh, uh, sense with respect to um, why was we arguing this point? <laughs> what have we just been chatting about? <laughs> oh yeah, I was just saying yeah whether it's permissible to sell gold or not yeah, and what the issues involved to non-Muslims. So selling gold, uh, for example, a gold trinket or a gold antique or a gold pen, uh, uh, no, a gold. Um, Something which is not going to be worn, but is going to increase an in investment to a man. This would be permissible, in my opinion. Yeah, because it's not being worn, it's not being whatever, whatnot. So, selling something which is solely for haram purpose, because it's gold, like earring or whatever, then this would be a problematic yani, application. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. I, we went over time significantly today. But I was, because I was chilling out, enjoying myself. Anyway, next week, inshallah. Next week, we're going to start a... Uh, uh, nice, nice chapter. I like it, and also a little surprise next week as well. Tiny surprise. Jazakumullah khairan. Um, should we call it? I think it's too late now. I think we'll have to leave questions because people will then get upset, isn't it? Yeah, in Kuwait and Emirates and Saudi, who now it's like two o'clock or one o'clock or something. Yeah, go on. Then. One quick question. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's permissible. I mean, for 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 and and I think that if there are people who are billionaires, where they might argue that this for me is like nothing, I'd still say shame upon you. I might not say haram haram, but it's it's ridiculous. But Allah knows best.
Wassalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh.